I'm Claire O'Brien, and you're listening to Good Honest Talk, a podcast for those in search of hope and health and harmony. This series will bring you practical tips, inspiration, and honest conversation as we explore what it really means to be well. In this episode, I am joined by horticulturalist Vic Ind. Vic is the owner of the Individual Plant Nursery, a new business venture she set up to make rare plants accessible to everyone. Vic shares where her love of gardening came from, how she ended up working in Lismore Castle Gardens, and the growers that inspire her. She talks about the work involved in growing rare plants in Ireland, the amazing community she has found, and having a sustainability ethos. In this episode, Vic also chats about bringing her values and personality to her business, continuing to find her voice, and using her Instagram account for good. She also shares practical tips for indoor and outdoor gardening in January and preparing our gardens for spring and summer. Vic challenges us to adjust our idea of what a good garden looks like and hint it does not involve having pristine lawns and freshly cut borders. I cannot wait for you to meet the wonderful Vic Ind. Like you haven't, we haven't been sitting in the same room for ages. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do and what is the essence of your business as well? So I'm run, is it run? I'm new to this, but yeah, so I, I run a rare plant nursery i produce it's ornamental plants so and i try to produce well i do produce everything from seed and cuttings on site so i don't buy plants in and grow them on it's just all produced on site from stock plants and so when you say rare what it would be like a rare classification of plants just um uncommon Garden plants. Okay. A lot of what I grow is kind of borderline hardy, so semi-tropical stuff. Okay. Med climate plants. I'd like a gnarly, needle-leaved, shrubby thing. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of drought-tolerant plants as okay, well. Okay, so. brilliant. And how did you kind of get into that area of? Through my job, really. So okay. yeah, I was kind of inspired by. My old boss, I used to work at these more castle gardens. Boss at the time was Darren Tops, and he really inspired a love of plants. I had, I always liked plants anyway, but he kind of is the one that kind of really sparked an enthusiasm for really cool plants. Oh, <laughs> and like, was it something that was in the family, or was it something like where you're like? You know what? I really love this plant thing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been in the family. So my gran, uh, when I was a kid growing up in Cheltenham, my gran, like a lot of people, was my way into gardening. She used to have a little allotment on her little back garden, and she was from the dig for victory kind of era. So it was all very outdoorsy as a kid, and she'd we'd go for long walks in the countryside, and she'd talk about wildflowers and stuff like that so um that was my kind of way in and then I have an auntie as well who used to have a kind of flower nursery cut flower nursery so it's always kind of been on the periphery but my direct you know family they're not really that bothered (laughs) so like your gran was more like a practical like veggie kind of gardener yeah she'd be proper old school gran 
kind of suburban ground, so pinks down the edge of the path and roses around the door and then a nice veg patch with curly kale and lovely <laughs> swedes yeah <laughs> that kind of practical gardening and like yeah the traditional stuff yeah and then the, your aunt was more the kind of yeah flowers. so they herself and her husband used to grow cut flowers and then they'd sell them at markets and stuff like that oh, um, they were based in wales at the time when i was a kid but... so good gardening behind yeah yeah i'd yeah. say you know i i think my gran is the main kind of original driver of and I started by growing food which is the way most people kind of get into gardening I guess is because food is an obvious thing to it's a kind of go-to thing it's really rewarding thing to do but yeah it was really once I started at Lismore and then through Darren he kind of is the one that opened up the world of kind of ornamental plants and then it was just like wow that's really cool (laughs) <laughs> and like what you do is all from cuttings and seeds of your own plants is it or uh, yeah them? I do buy in seed some seed buying in seed is a brilliant way to build stock up of yeah. unusual plants it's way cheaper for a start so and you can produce numbers of things really easily well I say easily Easily depends on the seed <laughs> <laughs> but um and yeah once I have a, a few stock plants then yeah. I'll I'll take from cuttings and build my stock up that way so or I might buy the odd kind of plant in if I'm at a rare plant fair or something and yeah. then I'll use that as a stock plant and, but I try to do most of my stuff from seed because the Irish rare plant industry I guess is quite a small group mm. of nurseries so the last thing you want to do is to buy the other lad's stuff and then start striking off it and then suddenly you're in direct competition. So yeah. I try and get a lot of my stuff in as seed and then I've kind of, you know, I'm not treading on anybody's toes, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm quite aware of of it being quite a small market. So Cooperation over competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I'm not, I'm not interested in that cutthroat nature of things. Yeah. Although plant collecting does that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is it quite like a look at what plants I it have? Is, kind yeah, of? there's some there's some plants that you can you kind of covet. Okay. And then if you can get hold of one, you're like, oh, I've got one of these. Okay. So <laughs> like a rare collectible kind of thing. Yeah, it can it can get a bit not competitive. It's all you know. It's very good natured, but it is like, oh, you've got a many hot grey mite. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got a license to make money. <laughs> it's um, it's fun. And where do the seeds come from? Is it like a seed vault? Is there um, like a... So there's a few um, online companies. There's a lot of sellers in the UK, but obviously thanks to Brexit, yeah, that's kind of done that yeah. side of things. So you can't really source seed from the UK anymore yeah. unless you know somebody in the UK and you can get them posted there and then pick them up and smuggle them down your pants or something. <laughs> but... It's um, there are some good sellers within Europe, so you can still um, buy in seed from Europe. What is involved in bringing one of these rare plants into like full life? It's it's how long is a piece of string? It depends on the species, and it depends on the conditions, and it depends on whether they like you or not. (laughs) It's um, but yeah, generally, depending on the plant. You can you can have something ready for sale 
within a season if you're lucky depending on the on the plant the thing that i want to be able to do anyway is to get things out the gap at the nine centimeter pot stage okay. so basically the first kind of potting up so the plants will be quite small that will allow me to sell some really nice plants to people at a really reasonable price yeah. because as soon as they start moving up into the bigger size pots then they yeah. start getting more expensive because people are holding them on onto them for longer it costs more money for you as well because you're having to buy more compost and yeah. storage space and the longer you're keeping them the longer you have to keep them alive and it just gets so my my thing is to try and clear them off while they're young and you can keep the price low for people yeah. and also reduce your own kind of time and yeah. you know, energy costs and everything energy else. costs it yeah so making like affordable rare plants available to yeah. the likes of me <laughs> yeah yeah I don't, i'm i'm a bit hopeless at the way i kind of price things up is to google what other people are selling them at and then go well mine are at the nine centimeter stage there's there's quite a good markup on plants anyway in a way yeah. because well if you don't you know charge for your time which, yeah yeah you know, i don't think anybody charges for their time if you're self-employed yeah it's kind of I, I don't want to kind of undersell them either because you know obviously you have a nice thing so i think i, I hopefully i'm pitching it kind of okay nobody's complained anyway <laughs> <laughs> definitely so. trying to increase the prices though if nobody's yeah complained. yeah I don't, I don't i don't want to be so you can live with yourself and sleep yeah, well at night exactly i'd rather they went to a nice home you know that they're going to be taken care of and loved exactly yeah and it's just like yeah i just hope more people will get access to yeah. rare plants because their plants are amazing and they're cool <laughs> what about the sustainability side of of the the business I know that that's really important to you and when we talked before you were talking about like sustainability and taking a no-dig approach and like growing things on top of soil and stuff like yeah that. it's kind of because I'm primarily an ornamental grower so I don't I'm not really a production grower so I don't grow veg I grow a bit of veg for myself so the sustainability side of it for me I know there's there's definite movements of sustainability there's loads of it, particularly with the production growing there's permaculture and forest gardens and all there's loads of different branches of things sustainability personally for me is to reduce my plastic in the garden so I don't know how practical this is going to be in a plant fair situation I haven't actually done a plant fair yet but certainly with my mail order and on the little stall that I had uh, locally I unpot everything so the the plants are sent wrapped in brown paper or newspaper or oh, whatever right. so the plastic stays with me that does two things it allows me to keep the pots but it also reduces plastic kicking about yeah. um, and also peat-free compost it's Can quite important to me, why is pea-free compost? Pea-free uh, compost, it's kind of being eradicated anyway. They've actually banned peat-based compost in the UK. Okay. Um, I think it's probably not going to be long before that's the case here as well. So okay. peat, obviously, is a massive carbon kind of sink. So mm. harvesting peat to use for gardening products has been a massive... Well, in the scheme of things 
it's tiny, mm. but you know, every it's little bit is. We can do. Yeah, it's kind of difficult. It's taken a while to work around it because the plants they grow differently. There's a different approach to watering and feeding, and it's finding a peat-free compost or a mix that you do yourself that's gonna do everything that peat-based composts did for us. It's just a new way of you just gonna yeah. have to get your head around it. I also don't spray things i don't use inorganic feeds so inorganic feeds are manufactured feeds so I, I'll, I'll use things like pelleted poultry manure and seaweed and that kind of stuff i don't tend to spray for pests i do the really nerdy thing of just looking over my plants on a regular basis every few days while i'm down in the tunnel i'll just have a look at them turn the leaves over if there's anything i just squash it with my hands i'm lucky in the fact that i i have a really small plant nursery and loads of time on my hands so i can do that if i had a really bad outbreak of something that just got away and was really badly affecting everything i might use a, an organic pyrethrum or something and it sounds like something that we can do for our own plants at home like none of like, well, I don't have a plant nursery at home. So whatever plants I do have, like, I don't need to be spraying yeah, them. Yeah, it's, it's good housekeeping yeah. is really important, particularly over the winter. You can get a lot of uh, botrytis, which is m- mould, a fungal spore that gets in. Okay. If you've got anything in a tunnel or in the glass house. And overwatering during the winter is a bit of a nightmare so you tend to really really cut back on your watering kind of keep your plants really quite dry kind of at at what we call wilting point almost very minimal yeah and just literally give them enough to keep them alive but the saturated compost during the winter open invite for boars especially in ireland and any drops leaf just pull them off bung them in the compost like they're hibernating so you're keeping them at that yeah wilty Point. Yeah, just literally want to hold. Also, keeping them on the dry side will protect them if there's a particularly hard frost because there's reduced kind of water content in the whole plant. Generally, what destroys a plant is the frost will get in and water expands, so it'll freeze and blow all the cells apart. I'm thinking about my poor overwatered plants in the um, inside the house as well. Just oh, well, the house like... is a different thing because you've got heating and stuff going on, and yeah. generally, plants don't need as much water as people think they do. (laughs) So is there something you wish that everybody knew about the sustainability side of things? And when we spoke before, we talked about that like no dig approach, which I think is really unique and a lot of people wouldn't have heard of. It's becoming a more common occurrence in the production gardening side of things particularly, Mm. but it can be introduced in an ornamental garden environment as well. Even more so because there's a lot of perennial plants and stuff so there's no need really to be digging your borders so you're just leaving the soil alone not turning it over or mucking it about you can kind of remove the really pernicious weeds you know the deep deep rooted things like dandelions and big thistles and stuff like that you can get a really good gardening tool called a hori hori which is like a a fat blunt knife 
essentially. It's really good and really effective of pinpointing, particularly for those individual pernicious weeds. You can really get them, just target them, just wiggle them out without having to turn a lump of sod over. Yeah. You're kind of reducing your impact on the soil. The more you interfere with the soil, the more you're exposing it to erosion and you're mixing up all the good stuff. There's a mycorrhizum in there and everything. And there's a whole kind of ecosystem in the soil that needs to be kind of left alone. <laughs> but yeah. yeah it's um it is easy that's what i, I wish pe- more people knew actually is that being sustainable is really easy because you literally just need to change your kind of mindset on what you think a tidy garden should be a lot of common weeds are actually really beautiful they can grow in amongst your ornamental plants as much as anything else and you can really play with this kind of blurring of the lines between introduced kind of ornamental gardening and your wild native weedy stuff but we do kind of overdo it don't we we kind of pull up the the weeds even though they're just as beautiful and we kind of underplant our native like wild like flowers for bees and yeah dig too much and like oh it's yeah it is changing a mindset on the approach like the the approach that my grand for instance would have used was you harvest the vegetables they're absolutely pristine there's no weeds around them at all once they're harvested you dig the soil over so we need to learn when to leave it alone yeah just just bung really well sourced well rotted horse muck on the ground don't dig it in just lay it on the top it's to let the worms and the rest of the kind of ecosystem take care of the hard work and and the same with a lot of the leaves and stuff but you can just sweep them onto your ornamental garden bed as well There's, there's so many really interesting and there's some really interesting now that we're kind of in winter heading into spring is there questions that people like me who don't really know a huge amount of gardening um, information ask you or is there like advice that you'd like people to know heading into spring i'd say if you've got any fruit trees or fruit bushes or rose roses it's still a good time to get on top of your pruning so winter pruning with apples and pears and the rest of them will promote more fruit next year and will help maintain the size of, and the shape of and the health of your uh, trees. Also, it's still a good time to plan your garden for next year. If you want to create more beds, think about doing that now. You could do winter sowing of hardy annuals for next year. So things like ami, you can sow, you can still sow sweet pea now. Is there things that we can plant in January besides the sweet peas? Yeah, bare root. So yeah, the, the bare root roses and fruit trees again bare root hedging bare root is a really cost effective way of stocking your garden and then is everything else wait till march wait till the frost of february yeah it's kind of you can do um some sowing of certain seed now that some seed needs what's called stratification and it needs cold stratification so it needs a period of being sat in kind of damp cold to break the germination, to break the dormancy and allow it to germinate. So okay. there's a there's a few plants. A lot of native plants will need stratification. Tell me a little bit more about well-being and you and what you do besides gardening and growing your own 
do you grow your own vegetables for yourself as well? I yeah. yeah. So I grow mainly beans because okay. they're really easy and tasty. Mm-hmm. And I do always do a few tomatoes, and I'm always really disappointed because they just don't ripen for me. Because I'm in where my garden is, we don't really get the sun rain even in the summer. It's good to hear professionals say I struggle with the oh, tomatoes. Yeah, in this. I'm not. Um, like yeah. I say, I'm I'm not a production gardener. I I enjoy growing my own little bit of veg, but yeah. beans are kind of easy because they kind of grow on minimal. I do grow a little bit of salad as well in the summer. I prefer to keep what ground I have for my stock plants and space for all the cool stuff. And how else do you look after your well-being? I know like getting out in the air and gardening is a brilliant way of yeah, looking after well-being, yeah, but so I'm sure I'm you out, do more I'm than that. I'm outside a lot, so yeah. my brain has a tendency to, to the dark side. Yeah. So I, I find that I have to keep myself as active as possible. Also, I have dogs, so that helps too go for long walks with the dog and stuff like that. Writing is something I've always done right from when I was a kid. And most of the early 90s was spent as a stroppy teenager on the mountain, writing tortured poems. (laughs) And (laughs) that's where I go to build all the toxic stuff that builds up. It's a brilliant way, actually, of detoxifying yourself, I find. Like it moves it from like the back of your head kind of thing into your logic mm. brain and then out onto the paper where yeah. you can look at it and go, is that real? Is that true? And other times as well, you can then turn it into something creative. So you can actually be a bit more productive with with it by doing something like writing a poem or a piece of prose. Try and create something beautiful from the thing that's trying to destroy you. You know, you, yeah. can, you can kind of manipulate it that way yeah. into something I do kind of approach life with a kind of cynical... And cynicism is really toxic. And so, yeah, that's my 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 biggest kind of thing to overcome. And then, like, the journaling and everything else kind of helps you to come out. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned your dogs as well. Um, yeah. And you mentioned them earlier as well. Are they a big part of your kind of, like... They are. I've, I've, I've always had a dog... In my life, I grew up with dogs. My dad loved dogs, so I've always grown up with loads of dogs yeah. around. Dogs are just ace. They're just pure. Always happy to see you. Exactly. So what does well-being mean to you? It's such a like ambiguous word. Yeah, I think, well, for me personally, if my mind isn't well, then the rest is, you know, knackered yeah. as well. Yeah. It's a completely holistic thing it has to all be in kind of balance you know and if yeah if my mind's not there then everything else will just take a back seat and then you have to work really hard to draw it rein it all back in sure put your socks on and get into yeah that's it and it, it does come to that point sometimes where you have to just go right stop it now get your proverbial together and step up and get get it done just just do it. Just do the things. But it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real balancing act the whole time, I think. You yeah. have to work at it constantly to keep yourself well. I don't think anybody is probably blessed with, like, just going through life, being completely balanced and yeah. <laughs> yeah. healthy. They might give the impression that they are, but I bet it's like, yeah, they're all tortured. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but like even I know we say a lot of like Instagram is kind of like, you know, the highlight reel. But even like the bumping into somebody in the shop or the bus stop or a restaurant is the highlight reel. Like we don't see the rest of what's going on yeah. for anyone. No, no, totally. I mean it's uh, social media isn't real and it's a creative a semi kind of mythical online persona for the for the individual plants. And like I say, like especially with all the crap that's going on in the world at the minute, I found that I was putting too much of myself into it and then yeah. it ends up blurring the lines between being like a professional kind of account to one being way too personal and you know, it's yeah. it's like no, you have to separate the two otherwise it just gets messy do you know yeah. um well personally that's how i find it i do i mean i i am honest on my account it is me i it's not wholly me <laughs> yeah do you know yeah yeah i'd rather keep that kind of light-hearted kind of messy yeah. foul-mouthed part of me on there <laughs> yeah and not reveal like the the emotional wreck mess <laughs> yeah for the angst and uh, like yeah full yeah. of like tears and mourning yeah. for the rubbish world but it's really hard like as like somebody who owns their own business to separate like I suppose what the purpose of your Instagram business account is and you as a person and your moral values and when yeah. you see people in pain like I try on mine to never post anything and then sometimes I feel really bad about that because I could be yeah, really passionate about something. There's, there's so many people that put yeah. almost put a kind of sanctimonious kind of, if you're not posting about this, you don't care about it. I kind of bought into that a bit recently with Gaza and everything. Yeah. And I, I was like, yeah, I need I need to make a stand. I need to, and I'm like, what's what's doing post on Instagram really going to do like yeah. I need to just be proactive in the re actual real world and just leave Instagram for Instagram's sake and I know there is a point to keeping the algorithm alive so that the stories are out there and all the rest of it and yeah. I do interact with things and I follow people because there is unfortunately that element to yeah. life now yeah. that if you care about something that has to be part of it but yeah. I don't think yeah, I don't think personally me posting it, it was just making me constantly kind of traumatised by yeah. feeling like I this was the only way I could show that I cared, and yeah. that's rubbish. Yeah. I would feel similarly, like it would be very difficult to, I suppose, come, you know, you want to say so much, and then it's really hard when people aren't quite as like invested and then you feel a little bit like there's there's not much I can do about it yeah so it is the letter writing to the TDs and it is the, you know donations yeah. and raising money for your UNICEF and different exactly and yeah. Stuff. yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, that stuff that you yeah. can actually feel like you're being proactive about but yeah. crying on Instagram about it on your yeah. account yeah. that's about selling plants <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it, it yeah. seems a bit like Hang on a minute. <laughs> it is a difficult. And then it, because people don't necessarily know me as well, it's like, oh, how much of that is virtue signaling? Do you know yeah, what I mean? And yeah, it's like, oh, exactly. look at her jumping on the zeitgeist, yeah. do you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I just kind of thought, no, I need to just separate this out now because yeah. it's. Yeah. I think as business owners, no matter how long or short we're in business, 
the boundaries thing is really hard. You have to confront all of your like big dark things, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, if you're people pleasing or if you have bad boundaries, you're gonna burn out like yeah. really badly. And yeah. you know, you have to allow yourself to be you. Um, I think I'm well this is like I've literally just become self-employed so I don't know whether I'll manage to pull it off or not (laughs) so I've always through my whole life I've gone I'm somebody that needs a boss do you know I'm just not able to sort my crap out enough to to kind of do it um but now I've got to an age and a point where because because I have a health thing as well which doesn't help which means that I kind of need to be self-employed now I'm kind of on that kind of test so I I need to keep myself focused because I I tend to think I said my mind kind of goes off in loads of directions I'm like right so the core of my business is growing plants cool and then and then I'm like I could uh, you know I could offer courses and stuff and then maybe I could go into consultancy and you know yeah. that thing and th- I'd like to offer that and um, next year hopefully I will and maybe there's some mentoring and no, yeah. you need to kind of concentrate on <laughs> growing up things now yeah we all have done that as a business owner from any business owner that I know who started like any kind of small business we've gone to the point where we've been like oh yeah, I could do that and then I could do a course and then I could do that. And, and then the next thing you know, you are down that full rabbit hole yeah. and you're you're like completely away from the start of your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and my my issues, I suppose, as well. Uh, yeah, I have absolutely zero self-confidence either. So I'm always kind of second-guessing my own abilities. Yeah. And then, so... I'm kind of like, yeah, I could, I could offer courses and uh, teach things and things and talk about plants and stuff like that. And then I'm like, oh, who am I? Do you know, I haven't got a degree. Yeah. Do you know, and yeah. I've kind of, because of my upbringing where unless you have a degree, you can't have an opinion. You know, it's, yeah. the, it's that yeah. kind of thing. You must trust your bosses because they're more experienced than you or you yeah. must. So I have this kind of yeah I'm going to go for that and I'm really driven and then I'll just wake up one day and go oh there's no point in me doing that because I'm rubbish (laughs) so it's kind of a big massive experiment this is Yeah. and so far I don't know what's (laughs) happening so you're at the top of the roller coaster and you're waiting to see if it'll be fun or not I've kind of half jumped off by doing it I'm kind of in the falling bit at the minute it's whether I land on a squashy thing or not. <laughs> so there it goes back up again. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're off again. Something comes hurtling from the side. and. <laughs> yeah. We all uh, live in hope that nothing comes yeah, hurtling from just the side, don't we? Blissfully kind of drifting, going, <gasps> occasionally, and then go, oh, no, it's grand. Yeah. And fall a bit more. <laughs> yeah. It's the craziest roller coaster I never knew what I was signing up to. <laughs> well, I'm not actually selling any at the minute, so... It's uh, yeah. I'll be launching that in the spring properly once the season kicks off. So hopefully by April, I'll be redoing the website and everything will be up on there. And hopefully I'll be getting into some 
um, plant fairs and stuff. So actually out to the the kind of rare plant specific sales just to get my. I kind of I kind of have my target audience already through Instagram. Instagram is awful, but also it's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's where most of my customers come from really, and getting your name out there and stuff and yeah if you put the hours in <laughs> liking and talking to people and yeah. all the rest of it being social yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, it does and it's the the horticulture side of instagram is actually really brilliant Brilliant. it's a really positive kind of space gardeners are really generous so the amount of stuff that i've been sent like seeds cuttings full boxes of plants Amazing. just from people on Instagram that have gone oh I've got a load of them do you want some of them mm-hmm. and I've, I've sent a few things as well hopefully I'll do more of that as well because that sharing thing I think it's really important especially mm. with things like plants it's such a important thing to just keep material moving yeah. in the old fashioned way of just non-transactional just, just sharing yeah. nice stuff do you know Yeah. and there's Nothing I love more than walking around my garden going, oh, there's the plant that such and such sent me. Yeah. I love I love the fact that gardens can be like that. So they've got a whole story. Yeah. And plants have the ability to kind of link you back to a time and a place the same way as a song might. Yeah, I love that about gardens. It's like walking around meeting your old mates. How do people find you on Instagram? What is the Instagram handle? So Instagram is individual plants nursery. And the website is individualplantsnursery.com. They're my two kind of main things. I am linked on Facebook as well, but I don't generally use Facebook. It's just linked to the Instagram, so I want to post there, post there. At the minute, the website is just a kind of one page and then a page. Dirty writing in my blog. <laughs> I tried to... I've, Hopefully try and provide more horticulture-specific writing on there. Yeah, Instagram is my main. But uh, yeah, it's it's my main thing and I, I tend to post about plants on there and I use it as a kind of creative kind of space as well. So I kind of give the plants a bit of a character and then we okay. have a talk and it can get a bit foul-mouthed. And <laughs> it's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, It's just a bit of a, a fun approach to... The usual boring look at my fatsia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. here's a blurry picture of a leaf and a sweary conversation I had with it. <laughs> You're welcome. Vic continues to support and amplify the voices of reporters and people in Palestine through her Instagram stories at Individual Plant Nursery. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Good Honest Talk. If you have enjoyed this conversation, I would be really grateful if you could like, follow and subscribe or share this podcast. It really does help to spread the word and bring more real conversation to wellness and well-being. If you want to find out more about what you heard in this episode, visit honestgoodness.ie where you'll find detailed show notes. Also be able to find all of the content that I've created to help you feel well and reignite your inner spark.